This is episode 317 of The Real Me and Colin, a movie podcast. On this week's episode, Chase and Joel will take a look at Pixar's newest animated film, Onward, as well as go over the movie trailers throughout the week, and Joel will have an extra review. All that and more, this episode starts right now. And welcome to another episode of The Real Me and Colin, a movie podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Chase Lee. And uh, this is episode 317, like I said at the top. And if you are new to the show and you decided to, hit, to take a chance on us and you've never listened to a movie podcast and you just went with us because of the name, the logo, whatever, we hope that you stick around for a great movie conversation because that's what we like to do here. Uh, and we hope that you can enjoy us all the way to the very end and come back next week. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. We always appreciate you guys. Um, this, this week's episode, very straightforward, the big release. Uh, is Onward, Pixar's first film uh, this year. They are having two uh, come out this year, so this is their first one to come out, and it's the big one of the weekend, so obviously we're going to talk about it. I will talk about some trailers, and Joel will talk about an extra review that uh, he got a chance to catch up on this week as well. So, uh, Joel, what is uh, going on over there? Uh, how was your week? Um, you know, it's March. It's uh, first week of the new month. You know, what's, what's been going on over there? Oh goodness! I mean, just you know, staying in uh, in good, clean zones away from the coronavirus, <laughs> uh, which is not even funny at all. I mean, there have been some some pretty uh, insane updates regarding that. If anybody's in any affected areas out there, we care about you guys. We care about our listeners. We care about you stay, staying safe. Please stay clean, um, you know, and all of that. Uh, especially those not in the U.S. Um. You know, as for me, just kind of, uh, just kind of here, watch, uh, catching up on Bond movies. I saw a View to a Kill this week. Um, you know, I had I had scheduled it to make sure that I could be um, all up to date for No Time to Die next month, and then they moved it. So I'll be I'll be gone. I'll be done with these way before that movie uh, comes out, and I'm okay with that. Uh, otherwise, I did watch three documentary series, um, miniseries that released this week. Um, so, uh, the first was don't F with cats, um, which is on Netflix and it is one of the most disturbing things I think I've ever seen. Um, basically the, uh, the premise is starts with this woman who is made aware of a video of a guy, uh, and I'm I'm sorry for the descriptions I'm going to use because there's no way to describe this documentary without describing it pretty like <laughs> openly. Uh, there was a video of a man taking a couple of kittens, putting them in a vacuum seal bag and vacuuming all the air out on video. So killing them. And then she decides to join this Facebook group that's dedicated to finding the person in the video who's kind of concealing his face and it turns into an international manhunt that ends in Berlin uh, and also ends after he has graduated to a human being after gaining enough uh, um, like graduating to, to doing that to a human being on video, uh, a similar thing, uh, killing somebody on, on, on air um, after he's gained enough notoriety. And it is one of the most disturbing things I've ever seen. And that includes another big time uh, documentary miniseries that we watched, which was the trials of Gabriel Fernandez. 
Uh, I did watch all six episodes of that. It was insane. It was uh, probably the one of the saddest things I've ever watched. Uh, it's about the horrific abuse and murder of a young boy under under suspicious circumstances um, and under the care of his mother and her boyfriend. And it's just crazy. Took took place in L.A. County. It also turns into another story uh, in a way, a much like wider um a wider scope than just the murder it's also about the um you know what might have led to it uh in terms of the social work aspect um that was that was surrounding the case and then i also watched uh the pharmacist which is another netflix i watched a bunch of netflix stuff this week another netflix show about a guy who is an who is this pharmacist living in new orleans uh whose son is killed in a drug deal so he just, he decides to start investigating, which kind of similarly turns into a much wider scope than just his son's murder. It ends up with like this corrupt doctor at the center of the opioid uh, like crisis of New Orleans. And uh, yeah, crazy, very sad story as well. I've also started, just barely started, The Staircase. Uh, so right now I'm just like, on a kick of real life documentaries of crazy uh, intense stories. And I'm totally loving that. Uh, as disturbing as they are, it's just, you know, their documentaries really well put together in all of those cases. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm liking that a lot. Uh, so those are the big things that I watched this week. And, you know, in, in addition to stuff like Onward and, uh, and the other movie I'm going to review, which is The Way Back starring Ben Affleck. Um, yeah. So, uh, it's been just kind of a normal week. Yeah, you? you know, I've been really busy. Uh, as you guys can probably see from the podcast feed, I had three uh, mini reviews up with um, uh, <laughs> Greed, Extraordinary, and The Times of Bill Cunningham. And then next week, there's also going to be three more with Swallow, My Spy, and Bloodshot. And that's not even including what Joel and I are going to be reviewing on the main show. So it's just it's just insane. <laughs> and of course, I, got, uh, I finished a documentary yesterday that someone reached out to me and I, I, I watched, uh, it's pretty good actually. Um, but you guys will get that here pretty shortly. And then, uh, I also got sent another one that stars Eric Roberts and it's absolutely terrible right now. Uh, I've watched about 30 <laughs> minutes of the last time before I fell asleep and it's, it's like an enjoyable bad, like, like the room or something like that. It's not like awful bad where like, I just want to curl up and not speak to anyone. Like after watching like the fanatic, this is more of like an enjoyable bad, but it is, bad so far um but it's so it's just so fun because i can't i just every single scene it just makes me makes me chuckle in some way shape or form um but that has been uh my week slash upcoming week for movies it's just screeners all over the place guys but i'm trying to get up as much as possible um because i don't know if we've told you guys this but uh, i won't really be reviewing anything for uh, the Dallas International Film Festival. Joel has found a way to do that, but I will step aside this year. So I'm trying to just front load the podcast or YouTube as much as I can before, you know, there's just an inevitable break next month. So I'm just kind of uh, making up for it with that. Uh, no, I should also just let people know that I'll be, I'll be covering it if it exists. That's true. Uh, right now, it, right now it is on the schedule. They're still advertising as if they're, they're doing it, but South by Southwest was canceled this week, and that's huge. Um, I think somebody put it on Twitter. This basically opens the door for any festival. 
because South by Southwest is huge, uh, even globally. And uh, so if Dallas Film Society decides to scrap it, then I won't be. And we'll, we'll probably review something right. else that week. Um, but as of right now, yeah, I mean, I still have the plan unless, unless they tell me not to come yeah, in the form of like, you know, uh, studios dropping out. Now I will say that ours, our festival doesn't work like South by Southwest in that there isn't, there aren't a bunch of like Amazon and other, other places like that, that would, pu- that would have to pull out of our festival so that they cancel it. Uh, so there is a different market at our festival. It's much, much, much more indie than South by Southwest. And I don't know that sounds weird just because South by Southwest is kind of the pull for indie filmmakers, but there are a lot of high profile, um, uh, studios that bring their movies there to premiere them if they're kind of cult items. And, uh, our festival is, is part of the circuit kind of in this early part of the year of movies trying to find distributors. Sometimes they come with distributors, but sometimes they'll find distributors after our festival. So it's not, it's not quite the same. Uh, so I don't know if it's going to end up like South by, um, but yeah, for right now, you know, it's still on. So I still plan to cover that. Uh, and I will be doing my own little extra episode. If that's the case, I'll be doing my own little extra episode covering what I saw in the film festival. If Chase sees anything at the festival, he'll be uh, part of a regular episode at the end during our extra segment. He'll, he'll be doing that. But uh, for right now, he's too busy and I'm, I'm planning to, uh, to do it. So, um, so yeah, definitely we'll keep you all informed. I suspect that we will find something out within the next couple of weeks because they're going to have to be announcing their uh, film slate pretty soon. So they'll want to, they'll want to figure out whether or not they're canceling before that happens. Um, uh, Cause I know, I know, you know, some of the people over there, I know that they would want to be prepared and um, you know, for all contingencies. So anyway, that's just another little PSA. Um, it's just, it's just kind of tenuous right now. Um, you know, I feel like the only one that isn't is can, I don't think that they would ever close can, no matter if they were, if there was a, a massive global outbreak, I, I don't think that they would do it. I think it would be a, uh, there, I don't even think there is a last ditch, uh, <laughs> kind of effort, uh, on the part of the can, um, uh, curators to cancel that film festival. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I suspect that we're going to be learning at least in this early part of the year when everything's so uncertain that, uh, that they're canceling. Um, that's right. what I think. But anyway, you were, you were talking about your no, week. No. I'm sorry. The interruption is basically, yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm going to be covering it if right. it's still going. Uh, but yeah, we just wanted to let you guys know that uh, I will not be doing it this year. You know, I, got my new job in February. They have, you know, 90 day kind of probational period. I'm not going to take a whole week off when I just start something new. So it's just, it was not going to happen. Um, I could do the night films and stuff, but I also don't want to exhaust myself. So there is that. Uh, right. Uh, in terms of like television shows, I'm just kind of uh, finishing up uh, the outsider and McMillions have one more episode to go. So there's that uh, Avenue five continues to be just a hilarity that I enjoy watching uh, every single week on HBO. And then I'm kind of like with Joel, we, we watched the pharmacist as well. Really harrowing stuff uh, mm. with the um, uh, opioid, oh, yeah. opioid crisis. And then 
course, with the Gabriel Fernandez thing, it just it breaks my heart. Uh, you know, we're we're only halfway done with it, but it's it's a lot. Like even with um, people that don't have kids, like I think you can understand that there's this is just pure evil, and I cannot believe that people would do this to a small child. So um, let's see. I think that's it. Uh, yeah, no, no trash TV this week. Uh, unfortunately, I know you guys were always uh, looking forward to that, but it's really <laughs> just catching up on screeners and you know trying to nail all those down because there's just a lot, lot coming. So I gotta, I gotta just make sure I stay on top of that. And make, uh, speaking of that, stay on top of stuff. Uh, if you guys could stay on top of sharing this uh, podcast around, we would really appreciate that. You know, share it, like it, subscribe to the feed so you can get up to dates on whenever we drop main episodes or extra reviews from me, Joel, whatever. Make sure you guys stay informed. On Thursday night, good old Pixar strikes again, and uh, we attended the good old 8.55 p.m. on a Thursday night screening because the uh, the Alamo Draft House, which, by the way, is still my favorite theater chain, and this week uh, got the season pass. Finally, I joined the wait list like two years ago, and so I finally got the season pass. Oh, my so gosh. Whatever Joel wants us to watch, guess what? I can watch it for free now for a flat monthly fee. That's awesome. So uh, there is that. Uh, and secondly, uh, Alamo Draft House only had two showings for Onward on Thursday. It was either 6 p.m. or 8.55, and I was like, cool, thanks. Uh, so <laughs> with the 6 p.m. stuff, um, you know, my fiance doesn't get off until – 530 that's impossible and then of course 855 is just too late because i wouldn't be able to get home and like go to bed until like midnight and it's like we still have work the next day so i I don't understand why they couldn't have a seven i realize it's a it's a family film but come on uh so we saw onward uh, late night on thursday and uh joel i think this is a great segue into talking about onward yeah, I, I was able to see the 6 p.m. show, so there you go. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. It's uh, it's AMC, and I'm on that – I'm sort of with you. I, I'm able to see up to three movies without paying for them directly. So that's uh, every week, so that's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, so this is Onward. It's the new film from Pixar directed by Dan Scanlon from a screenplay he co-wrote with Jason Headley and Keith Bunin. And uh, Scanlon was the one uh, behind Monsters University back in 2013. So this is his new effort for Pixar. And it follows two brothers, Ian and Barley, voiced by Tom Holland and Chris Pratt. Um, and the, uh, the, the story here follows these two brothers uh, who are their, – their father has died a long time ago. And they're living with their mother, Laurel voiced by um, Julia Louis-Dreyfus. And uh, there's a final gift that their father has presented to them when both of them have become have turned 16. And Ian has just turned 16, so they get this gift. It is a magical staff that, uh, and, a, and a gym that um, uh, basically, if they cast a spell, they can bring their father back to life, and it only half works. They bring back his legs and waist, <laughs> but then the gym breaks in the middle of that transformation uh, process, and they are um, they're stuck with this pair of legs that they have to find the gym, and uh, in order to uh, to finish the spell and bring him back to life, uh, another gym. There's only there's only a few in existence, 
and they've got to find another one. So, um, yeah, this is, I mean, it's Pixar. It's an original film. It's not based on anything. It's not a sequel to anything. Um, and, you know, I, I was excited for it on that basis. I think that we were both kind of baffled by, at least from afar, the fact that it kind of looked more along the lines of something that DreamWorks would be behind. It didn't seem very Pixar-y um, uh, in terms of its animation quality. And, uh, and also just in the context of coming out the same year as something that, you know, that theoretically looked a lot more mature, like Soul, which comes out in June. Uh, you know, we were kind of a little bit more hesitant than we might have been um, with a Pixar movie in, in, in past years. Um, you know, they've proven themselves to put as much um, uh, mediocrity out there as any animation house. So I was, I was cautiously optimistic is the best way to put it. Um, I'm delighted to report that I really like this movie. I don't think that it's great Pixar. Uh, I do think that it's pretty good Pixar, though, and that's a pretty high bar. Um, pretty good Pixar is, is, you know, better than probably Great Illumination, for instance, or Great Blue Sky. Um, it's it's still it's still quite good. So basically, to start with uh, the film's creativity uh, elements. The world here is an alternate one in which uh, there are a bunch of, uh, instead of humans populating the world, it is a world in which magic was once the normal technology for everyone. Uh, it was wielded by the great and powerful, but it was the thing that powered the world. And so this is a world with trolls and with unicorns and with centaurs and manticores as one of the characters is one elves like our main characters um and so forth uh, there's just a bunch of different creatures who have since discovered electricity uh electricity came into everybody's lives and essentially and, and essentially pushed out the old ways um magic here is seen as kind of like gas-powered lamps or the wheel in terms of an old technology that was very useful in establishing civilization, but in terms of the progression of technology, it's since been pushed out of the way. And uh, that is what really struck me here, is that the screenwriters were able to incorporate something so real-world as, um, as a degree of, like, you know, of technological progression that... that uh, advances in much the same way as it did for earth because now it's just, you know, there's this metropolis that was once a, a kind of a very, um, uh, very rugged terrain is now, is now a metropolis known as new mushroomton. That's where our heroes live. And um, yeah, it, it just is so creative. And so the, the, the details of the world as built by the animators includes like, for instance, the unicorns, which are the same as rabid junkyard dogs. They're the ones who try to, uh, you know, eat trash and uh, get into street fights and all of that. So that's an interesting detail. And then you have the fact that cops, of course, have to be centaurs because they're the ones who have the hindquarters of a horse. So, um, so there's that. And it's just, it's just details like that that are so delightful and 
also very in 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 terms of just general facts very detailed uh the animation is beautiful here um it's beautifully detailed it's really really like uh dense and complex in some of these wide shots of new mushroomton some of the pan uh, like the when the uh the camera quote unquote pans through a bunch of cities and uh, uh, the city streets and stuff, we see those details come to life. And in some of the, the spoken details, um, it's really exciting how they brought it to life. And it feels almost like um, Monsters, Inc. did back in the day. Seeing this world of monsters um, look a lot like ours with just the details changed. It operates like a human world. But of course, because of the details, it's a monster one with, uh, with the various little minutiae of, um, of everything going on. And here, it gave me the same kind of kick. Uh, it was just a real, real joy to see uh, another Pixar movie that, that was so in tune to its world. I don't think we'd seen that in a while, in a good while, like a, an alternative universe. Um, Coco, kind of? Although that was the the underworld, uh, it's not really the same thing. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I really can't think of the last time they did this. Maybe Inside Out, some of the details there, but I don't know. Anyway, whatever the case, um, it's delightful. Now, I am thankful that the movie isn't coasting totally on the details of its world. It's not just a style thing. It's not just an aesthetic pleasure, although it definitely is that it isn't only that so that we have a touching human story in here too. Uh, the story of siblings trying to spend some time with their father uh, who has since passed away and what that ultimately becomes too, by the end, uh, which I won't, which I wouldn't dare give away. Um, it's very, let's just say it's fleeting. It doesn't happen to who we anticipate it, hap it, it would happen to in this story. And it's really moving. Um, but yeah, so basically to get down to the particular, particulars of the plot, they realize that they have 24 hours to work with before the sun sets on the opposite or on the next day. So they have to uh, find their father and spend time with him before that happens. So that gives them something of a ticking clock uh, cliche to work with here. They're, they're, they literally have a clock. <laughs> they're counting down 24 hours from, from when they start. And they get into a bunch of adventures, and, and that's not surprising. I mean, it's a Pixar movie. They come across a pixie biker gang, which is really funny. Um, they, they have this... Uh, this um, Basically, this just extended scene where Barley has accidentally been shrunk to the size of an action figure, and uh, they got to figure out how to how to <laughs> deal with that. Um, especially when not all of him grows back, or not all of the things that shrunk with him grow back in time for a cop to stop them uh, in one scene, which is which also becomes really funny, and. So yeah, I mean it's a movie of adventures, and it's a and it's an old timey adventure in that in that respect. It's the road trip movie, uh, and Pixar has done this before. Um, the Toy Story movies, you know, were were premised on this, and um, 
Yeah, so basically, it's just a delight, a truly delightful adventure. And the voice work really helps with that. Uh, Tom Holland, very fun. I think Chris Pratt is perfect for this role of Barley as this guy who's kind of this outward, jolly, gregarious Joker type who's trying to, um, uh, who is trying to cloak a lot of insecurity underneath the show, the showy, the showboaty personality that he has. And Chris Pratt always plays characters like that. I mean, it's the perfect, perfect. I mean, you think about Andy Dwyer on, um, on, on Parks and Recreation. You think about uh, any of really any, I mean, uh, you know, Star-Lord is (laughs) literally hiding behind a name he gives himself. His character of Bright Abbott on Everwood is the one who changes the most because at first He's just this this big dope uh, kind of oafy guy who's just um, you know uh, kind of a goofball, and he changes the most over the course of that series. Um, you know, even a character like his character in Ten Years, the film about the uh, the high school reunion, it's a character who's very deep into alcohol and is cloak and is just kind of masking a lot of um, a lot of really. Uh, unfortunate things about him and um yeah just is absolutely delightful great voice work julia louis dreyfus is warm and and welcome here uh you know we we've been kind of giving getting a resurgence of her in movies now with this and downhill and um and yeah i just i just really liked all the voice work uh octavia spencer shows up it's fantastic so uh chase Uh, what is going on over there nothing (laughs) Just uh, <laughs> quietly trying to do okay. other things, so there is no extra noise while we record. <laughs> but no, I'm I'm listening. Oh, I'm listening okay. to uh, every word uh, <laughs> for sure. Okay, it was just it was just uh, it was, there was a lot of there's a lot of commotion going on. So okay, um, cool. Yeah, I, I just I love this. I love the world that was built. Uh, you know, I don't like I said. I don't think it's a great Pixar movie. I think that. Some of these elements, you know, most of what's funny about the movie surrounds the two brothers. Uh, the subplots here kind of uh, are a little bit tired. Eventually, the pixie gang becomes tiresome uh, trying to deal with them. Um, and the, the subplot with their mom turns into her own quest, but there's not really much focus given on that. Um, it just will occasionally come back to them, and they're, they're basically just doing the same thing. They're, they're just you know, trying to evade cops or they're trying to evade the pixie gang, which comes back, or they're trying to, uh, trying to find them. And, it, and it's the same beat hidden over again, but still it's, it's a delightful movie. It's definitely a worthy Pixar addition, uh, even if it isn't in the top tier of their, of their, um, oeuvre. And, uh, and I liked it quite a bit. So yeah, uh, I'm giving onward a B plus. I think that's where it, where it comfortably settles for me. It's, it's quite good. It's certainly a, uh, I don't know if it'll show up, but it's a top 10 contender for this year. Um, an early one, at least. Um, I can say that it's definitely one of the better times I've had in a movie this year so far. And uh, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll definitely see how soul, you know, bears out in, uh, in June, but in the meantime, I did have quite a bit of fun with this. So not much more to say. Um, it is very good. I'm giving it a B plus. Yeah, so, so you know, Chase, one, take it you, away. Know, you and I have already discussed that the trailers were 
little lackluster, kind of looking like another studio, not to the Pixar standard that we hold them to because we know that they can get to that level, especially when you have uh, a film coming after Toy Story 4 where that animation was like extremely photorealistic. And, you know, there are certain things in that movie that still blow my mind to this day. And it's like, okay, now Onward is a little, it's kind of like a step back. So maybe they're just going to rely on the story and the characters. But either way, it didn't feel like a Pixar film just right out of the gate. And, you know, that's the unfortunate thing about trailers and posters is that's the first thing that we see in these movies. And I know it's not, you know, maybe going to represent all of the movie, but it's supposed to represent some type of, you know, uh, feeling that we're supposed to get from, you know, what we're going to watch. I realize they're going to hide a lot of stuff, but, uh, you know, with an animated film, you want to come out of the gate strong with, you know, really great visual, visual representation just didn't really think the marketing did that. And so, you know, I was a little skeptical, but I am also happy to report that I like this movie quite a bit as well. So the one thing I really uh, appreciated the most with mostly, uh, you know, Pixar films and uh, just how they treat their, their themes and really kind of nailing them down uh, to where they're just really effective towards, you know, the climax or the third act of the film. And I think this film uh, does that uh, and kind of falls in that same line, kind of like what they do with, you know, Inside Out or, you know, stuff with like Coco or even Soul, you know, looks like it's going to kind of touch upon some of that heavier stuff. This isn't as heavy as other Pixar films, but it really touches upon brotherhood, family relationships and dynamics. The uh, unfortunate Thing that happens in some cases where uh, you know two people two siblings or uh, a child is raised by a single parent and how that relationship they don't have with the other parent is just missing and there's that void in their life and this film really kind of hones in on that and I uh, especially with the end of the film it actually threw me for a loop in terms of how everything kind of played out and I was like you know, I, I was mm-hmm. a little taken back by that because, you know, we set this journey up for one of the siblings to eventually talk to their dad. And it turned out to not be like that. And I I thought to myself, that's interesting. I don't know how to feel about that. And then my dumb brain kicked in and was like, oh, wait, I see what they did there. And it was actually more effective the way they did it because of uh, how Joel kind of labeled uh you know one of the siblings as maybe having a a veneer around them or some type of shield blocking how they truly are because of that relationship that they are missing from said parents so yeah i just thought the uh, actual messaging and the themes uh that they were playing with with this story were really effective and so that that is the first and foremost thing i wanted to discuss the second thing is that they utilized this fantasy world and genre and they make it, you know, uh, to how humans are in suburbias and uh, little communities and cities. And I thought that's where all the creativity and the humor really shine because they took something as awesome as magic. And then some people found an easier way to do it. And then people got uh, really kind of comfortable <laughs> with the fact that they could just turn on, a light bulb with a light switch rather than, you know, performing this awesome spell. And so people kind of fell into that. And so now they're 
kind of in this world of just comfortability instead of actually like pushing themselves to conduct this magic, which is, you know, it's very cool visually, but you know, a lot of people uh, just love doing that and kind of harnessing certain kind of spells and powers like that. But the people of uh, this world are just like, nah, I'll flip on a light switch. And so uh, I thought that was uh, interesting commentary on how we are sometimes with the uh, comfortability of like technology and how stuff is making our lives easier, but is it losing, you know, some type of like skill that we should probably know, uh, but it's making that skill a lot easier that we don't have to know it that much. So I don't know. I just thought that was kind of cool how they touched upon that. Um, In terms of the world building was really uh, intricate in detail. Uh, The cityscapes, the suburbia, the, the mountains, everything about the environments, uh, were really just kind of beautiful uh, to look at and really uh, had a sense of that particular setting and they all stood out from one another, but I still felt like it was a part of this gigantic universe. Uh, I still am not 100% sold on the character designs. I know they're supposed to be fantasy, mm. elvish, uh, monsters, dwarves, you know, the, the kind of creatures that would exude you know, really, you know, kind of just creative um, designs. But I just, I did feel like the the character designs are just, they were fine, uh, but it was more about the world building of the settings, environments, uh, the clothes, the cars, all that stuff definitely out outshone the, um, the characters for sure. But uh, that's, you know, that's more, um, uh, that's pretty much it with the, the kind of like direction and, uh, writing aspects of the film the voice cast i actually really liked uh, i agree with you chris pratt was definitely the best one in terms of fitting his character and personality and just the animated energy that that character um was kind of uh, coming off of uh tom hall i mean I, I can almost like imagine him sitting in a room with casting people producers whatnot for this movie develop the developing voices and all of that and then kind of showing him maybe the screenplay or parts of the screenplay that had been written or whatever, the character design, the, the character um, history and, and um, definition and all of that. And saying, oh, I love this. You know, literally just that. Right. And he'd be like, oh, I love this. You know, because it's just so, it's just so perfectly right. in line there's, with his There's like certain yeah, moments in the movie where the character will literally – uh, say the spell out loud, he will throw his har- arms up and he will get super into it. Like he, he's really passionate about these spells. And I can imagine Chris Pratt doing the same exact thing in the recording booth, uh, like with his hands and everything. And I'm like, mm-hmm. this yeah, is- <laughs> get, getting in, getting into the moment so much that he actually does right. like it's, it's movement perfect. with his hands. Yeah. I mean, w- we've heard from people that that's how it is in the recording booth. When you get into it super, super deep, you're just you're just kind of going along with, and you're doing this silly thing because you can right. do that. Nobody's watching you. I, I'm sure, you know, other I'm than sure the people around asked, you. Uh, and Chris <laughs> yeah. hey, how was Chris uh, when he was doing the first Lego movie? They're probably like, oh my god, <laughs> it was like an adventure every single day. Right. So, he was jumping uh, yeah, around. Chris all probably was definitely yeah. the best one in terms of voice casting. I thought Tom Holland was good. Um, not really anything to write home about, but he, yeah, you know, yeah. he makes a great companion for Chris. They've already had that, uh, you know kind of rapport with one another working on uh, the Avengers films and everything. So like, I knew they were going to have good chemistry, but um, 
Tom Holland is fine. He's getting better at voice work. He's not the best at it uh, thus far. He's better in live action form, but he is working on it. Uh, Julia Louis, uh, Drive Test, not Tammy Spencer. Once again, great additions. Uh, it's not. This is not a situation where it's like Toy Story or if it or like um, yeah, like finding Ellen DeGeneres. <laughs> Where it's where it's yeah. like some like it, legendary yeah, not great go the pantheon work, of like right, yeah. great Pixar performances or even movie to that regard, but they're they're warm additions, they're well welcoming, and they definitely have fun behind it. And that's the only thing that I ever will request from actors or actresses when they're in re- recording booths: just have fun with it. If you can have fun with it, then that voice is going to make mm-hmm. that character feel so much more alive because that's that is the heartbeat to any animated character is whoever you cast to to voice it. Because if you don't, then you're just watching this random blob of shapes move on screen with no passion behind it and it's not going to it's not going to feel any different. So yeah, I thought everyone uh did a pretty good job uh on that front. I mean there's really nothing more to say. Like everything that I front loaded with with the voice performances and the uh, overall vision for this thing and the way the story kind of plays out. It's very, like Joel said, very kind of traditional adventure movie. You know, they got a, uh, they have a MacGuffin they have to go after, and they have pit stops in between. Really nothing more to it. It's not, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, anything that I'm going to, like, write extensively or want to analyze years down the road. But it is something I would recommend if you have kids or if you have a family, if you just love Pixar. Uh, this is a good addition to this brand. Uh, it's not to the level of inside out but it's also not on the level of cars too so there you go so i will uh i'll give uh, <laughs> uh onward a beat. uh i i i gave that a grade on twitter i might be a b plus you know m- more likely to do that like with joel but for right now i'll stick with a b um but you know what this is just one of those cases joel where marketing is not everything and sometimes they might throw something out there we might not like it, and then we're just completely surprised in the end product, and I think this is one of those cases. So if you were hesitant about Onward, uh, please go check it out. If you were looking for a family film, uh, animated film to watch with your kids or whatever, go check it out. I think you will uh, not be disappointed. So, Joel, I'm going to give Onward a B. Yeah, and it's weird. It's kind of the opposite situation of The Good Dinosaur, which I thought looked great. When we when we saw the trailers for it, um, I was really excited for that. It ended up being one of the more disappointing ones, because you're right. I mean, marketing isn't everything. It's the ultimate. It's ultimately the movie that speaks for itself. And in this case, yeah, I mean, it was it was a little better than it, than it seemed to be from afar. Um, so now I'm really excited for Soul, whatever they have in store for us there. That's uh, that's going to be very interesting to to see. So. All right, folks, that's our review. Uh, we're going to take a quick royalty free break. Um, when we come back, we will have, uh, we'll take a look at some trailers or chase. will. I haven't seen any of the trailers that he's going to talk about, but they do include connected the new uh, animated film from Sony pictures, animation and, uh, some others. So yeah. Uh, Oh, Greyhound. Uh, that was the other one I was going to mention. Ha brain fart there. Uh, the new Tom Hanks, uh, war kind of historical drama, um, and I will have a review of the way back and we'll also have, uh, a voicemail to answer. So, um, yeah, 
We'll be right back. We'll be right back, folks. You just heard our reviews of Disney Pixar's newest film, Onward. And now, because it's a kid's movie, we're going to be talking about some kids' trailers. So, Chase, take it away, sir. What are some of the trailers that broke this week? So, uh, funny enough, only two are kids' trailers, and the rest are, like, hard R films. Uh, (laughs) There you go. Uh, So... The first one is Antebellum. Now, I've talked about this in the past, and you guys know my rule. If we talk about the trailer once, I typically don't talk about trailer twos. But the first one was so intriguing. It was mysterious, and it was a teaser, but it caught my eye. I had to bring it up. Now that we got like a full-on trailer, I know what the story is about a little bit, and it's just absolutely insane. So this one stars Janelle Monet, and uh, this one... She is living in modern time and something happens to where she is transported back to slavery, the slavery era, and she is the key to saving it and flipping history. Now, Mm. I don't know anything else beyond that because they are keeping this thing tight lipped. But that was the what I got from the plot. And it just it's just crazy. And so um I, I still love it in terms of marketing, really just kind of showing you a little bit, like just a little taste, and then just having us decide if we want to watch it or not. I'm always into horror films, thrillers, uh, and so I am down for this, and it comes out you know, right before Run, the other Lionsgate movie, and then mm. Lionsgate also has the Spiral film, so they're going to really have three opportunities for horror thrillers um, and like the span of six weeks, it's insane. So, so Antebellum is the first one comes out April 24th, but that was a little bit more of the plot. And I'm still just as intrigued as I saw the teaser trailer a long time ago. So sounds, ex- was- sounds excellent. I can't wait for this one. Oh, no. And, and we should probably reveal to the folks out there that will be the main review for the end of April. So yes, it will. Uh, yeah. Excited to dissect that one. The uh, first of the Sony trailers to drop this week is Greyhound. This is the Tom Hanks written uh, yes, you heard that correct. A written and starred uh, film. And this is his third screenplay he's ever written. And this one is a uh, takes place during World War II. A U.S. Navy skipper must lead an Allied convoy being stalked by Nazi U-boat wolf packs. And so it takes place primarily in the ocean. I didn't see any other shots uh, telling me otherwise. Um, we might see some flashbacks to like maybe him in his home life or whatever. But I, I really believe that this whole thing takes place on the ocean um it's just like a giant uh war sequence a giant battle sequence and it showed a little bit too much but that's just sony's mo uh they always show a little (laughs) bit too much so it doesn't really bother me now but other than that i thought it was a really effective trailer comes out in june so that's an interesting play i mean they're gonna plop it right in the middle of summer i think this is the week after um Wonder Woman 1984, so we'll see if it uh, can, you know, kind of cut through a little bit of that box office. Tom Hanks is one of the few people that can actually, like, put butts in seats. Uh, I know it's hard to believe, but he is one of those people that people respect, and they will watch pretty much anything with him in it. Um, Not all of his films are box office, you know, successes, but he does have a core audience that loves him and will see him in uh, anything no matter what. I'm sure Joel and I are in the same camp. Like we will see anything with Tom Hanks. And so oh, yeah. with, with this one, um, you know, with him in it, it's a war film. He wrote the screenplay. It's based on a popular, like 
I'm actually um, intrigued by it. And like I said, it showed a little bit too much, but in terms of actual like warfare, uh, ocean, you know, battlefields going on, it looked really cool. And um, I think he's going to be able to sell it. And I think with, with his experience in Captain Phillips, that would kind of give him uh, a little bit more uh, of a focus on these type of characters that are out in the water like this. Cause I think, you know, with Paul Greengrass in that movie, that was a really kind of intensive shoot. And, you know, he likes to shoot as realistic as possible. So that probably put him um, a little bit more into that mindset whenever he has these type of characters. So I, I, I can't wait. Um, Tom Hanks film. Uh, I really don't care what it's about, to be honest with you. I will see it regardless, but this one looks pretty, pretty good. So the next one to, to drop during this uh, loaded trailer week, by the way, uh, I think all of them dropped in the same day, which was really funny. Uh, it was like one one hour after the other, just another trailer dropped. I was like, really? Come on, guys. I'm just now processing the previous two. So the next one is The Secret Garden. This is also based on a novel. And this one is about an orphan girl that discovers a magical garden hidden at her strict uncle's estate. And that uncle is played by Colin Firth. And the uh, little girl in question, the orphan girl, is actually a newcomer. Um, Joel, good luck, sir. Uh, what is it? Dixie Ed- Edgerick? Oh, Oh, I have no idea. Yeah, I yeah. did see this name. I'm I'm not entirely that's, sure. Yeah, how to that's say that. that's a that's a, a tough one there. But I'm sure Joel <laughs> will uh, practice uh, practice it at home. But yeah, it looks um it looks solid. It looks like something like the Bridge of Terabithia, uh, you know those type of like family films, but also have a lot going on underneath it. And it looks pleasant. I think it's from Focus uh, Features, and they they tend to put out some pretty pretty good movies, and so. I never saw the original because uh, this is a technically a remake. Uh, the original had Maggie Smith in it, according to my fiance. She was like, "Have you ever seen the original?" I was like, "No, I haven't." So I, uh, you know, I'm looking up. Shot shot by Roger Deakins um, oh, nice. and directed by Ag- Agnieszka Holland. Agnieszka, I, I forgot how to say the first name, but uh, but yeah, really good movie. Oh man, it's been it's been quite some time since I saw it, uh, but it was right in that sweet spot of. I think that that was kind of the first big role that Maggie Smith took after Sister Act. Oh, okay. Um, and because uh, she she took a couple of pretty high high profile roles in the in the beginning of the uh, the nineties that that connected with American audiences too. And um, I love the original novel. I, yeah, I'm a big fan of this particular uh, particular thing. I haven't seen this trailer, but but I'm excited to see the movie. Well, I mean, if you're if you're a big fan of the original, and so is my fiance, I, I definitely want to like give this one a shot or even the original one a shot mm. so yeah i love me a good family film about secret gardens and whatever's happening behind people's houses so <laughs> let's do it um the next trailer which is so different from the last trailer we're going to talk about and just in terms of ratings and just <laughs> tone and everything so this one called the other lamb this one comes from ifc midnight comes out april 3rd so i'm hoping to maybe get a screener link to that shortly because uh I've seen Midnight uh, and uh, uh, contacts me every now and then. I did Swallow for them, so I'm hoping I can get this one because I love cult films, and this one is just another cult film. It's uh, a girl that's born into an all-female cult led by a man in their compound that begins to question his teachings and her own reality. It looks terrifying. It looks like a mixture of Hereditary, The Witch, uh, even the new one, St. Maud. It looks like just pretty much everything 
that we've seen in the past like five years rolled up into one, and it looks even more Mar- Martha, Mar- Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, uh, it, it looks more hardcore than the films I just mentioned. And it, since it is mm. IFC Midnight, you can guarantee you that uh, they're going to push the boundaries on it because they are the type of distribution company, or at least a a subdivision of the IFC Films division that does genre pictures. They strictly do genre pictures, and they will find graphic films they will find films that were are uh just in your face and you know just really just kind of have an impact on uh whatever you're seeing so i like i said it it is something familiar that we've seen before in the past few years with the cult films but i do think that this one looks pretty pretty good if you are a horror fan or a cult fan or just want something uh to watch in a uh and creep yourself out. So the next trailer is definitely not R-rated, but uh, it is a family film from Sony, and this one is uh, from producers Chris uh, Chris Miller and Phil Lord. Uh, this one's called Connected. This is uh, about a character named Katie Mitchell that's accepted into film school, uh, and her whole family drives Katie to the school together, where their plans are interrupted by a tech uprising. The Mitchells will have to work together to save the world. So definitely a like road trip family movie and then it takes like a complete 180 and does something different which is great because when phil lord and chris miller put their names on anything producing writing or directing but in this case producing this is uh written and co-directed by michael rianda and jeff rowe um they always attach themselves to really interesting stories and they kind of go against the norm and do something completely unconventional uh just like with the lego movie and how they approach that and so you know, even with like 21 Jump Street revitalizing that, they always seem like really great innovators. And it still disturbs me to this day that we will never, ever get to see their vision of uh, Solo. Um, but uh, they are still two people in this industry that I respect. And I would just want to see them kind of just go after everything and see them how creative they can get. But this is a uh, animated film from Sony. Um, I'm assuming it played in front of Onward. It didn't play in front of my screening. So there's that. Uh <laughs> But uh, this is uh, from Sony Animation. And, you know, with the company that made, like, the Emoji Movie and a bunch of other BS like that, this definitely looks uh, way better than anything they've ever put their name on. So I'll give them that. Some of the voice talent that's involved, we have Olivia Coleman, Maya Rudolph, Abby Jacobson, Danny McBride, uh, Eric Andre. De- so definitely, like, the weirdest group you can ever imagine. But when you hear them in the film they they sound appropriate uh for their their actual characters uh danny mcbride plays the father he has a very distinct voice no matter what he does uh like abby jacobson plays the uh the main character uh she she's from broad uh um broad city um the comedy central show that i think just got done airing but she also voiced uh joel can you beat me to the punch she just recently voiced a character what was it because i remember when it came out i don't know (laughs) um, i don't know hold on give me a couple seconds here i know she's done stuff like bojack horseman she did the lego Mm. ninjago movie uh i can't find it i guess i was thinking of something else um but uh she she's really kind of well known and kind of going into the uh voiceover field so good for her and eric andre Please give that man more work. He is crazy as hell, but I, I will. Uh, he he definitely has once again a distinct voice. 
Uh, but yeah, I, I do like the cast involved. But in terms of actual, just how the the trailer looks, it has the claymation effect, but it's not claymation. It's kind of like a mixture of claymation and 3D animation, kind of like what they did with Lego, the Lego movie, where that was a blend. Um, actually, it wasn't a blend, but it was like 3D animation to make look like uh, stop motion. And I think this mm. is the same way where it is 3D animation, but the frame rate drops uh, with every frame. So if there's 24 frames a second, I think they only have the animation running at like a 12 or something because there's something kind of um, jittery about the animation to make it look like it's claymation. So uh, mm. it, it's a technique, like I said, they use in the Lego movie. But um, yeah, Connected looks really great. I, I actually um, am looking forward to that quite a bit. It comes out September 18th from Sony uh animation so joel out of all the trailers i talked about which one tickles thy fancy um probably the other lamb sounds okay. disturb disturbing i mean i can't I, you know i've already voiced i can't wait for antebellum um but yeah the other lamb hadn't heard of it so yeah i, uh, I, didn't, sounds... I didn't either until this week like i've seen and i've seen midnight love to just drop stuff in our laps mm-hmm. and there's like here, this is coming. You're like, I've never heard this in my life. Like, <laughs> have fun. And so it's like, yeah, thanks for that. But um, yeah, a pretty pretty good week for trailers overall. I didn't really find one that was like, oh my God, this is terrible. Uh, they all right. look like pretty pretty good hits. So uh, Joel, uh, I know that I didn't get around to it, but now that I have a season pass, I will definitely get around to other movies uh, to kind of just get better at um, you know critiquing, you know, build my log up a little bit more. But uh, a couple of the films that, you know, we definitely want to use the season pass on are Emma and The Way Back. And so this is a great uh, opportunity for you to convince me to watch it or not watch it of The Way Back as you get into your review. Yeah. So The Way Back, uh, this one comes from director Gavin O'Connor from a screenplay by uh, Brad Inglesby. Um, O'Connor's name should be at least slightly recognizable to people who like sports dramas. He previously brought us Miracle back in 2004. I just recently caught up with that. Really good movie. Um, And he also did Warrior with Tom Hardy and Joel Edgerton. I don't really remember my experience with that one super well. Um, I'd have to revisit that one. But yes, uh, it was very popular in any case. And uh, if people like those movies, they should definitely like The Way Back. This one stars Ben Affleck as Jack Cunningham, a, uh, a washed-up former high school basketball player uh, who's kind of disappeared into a life of addiction to the drink. Um, and in fact, he is so addicted to the drink that one of the early montages of, of kind of his pattern is pretty disturbing. So basically, and this is, this is an aside from, from the story of the movie, but it gets us into his, his headspace pretty well. What he'll do is he'll buy several packs of beer, uh, one specific brand. He will put a can of that beer into the freezer to cool it off, to cool it off a little bit, right? He'll take that can out, and then he'll put another one in. He'll drink the can, the first can, and then by the time he's done, the second can will have been as cool as the first can got when he was about to drink it. So he will he will do that, and soon enough, the entire uh, shelf in the refrigerator is empty. He's nice and completely plastered for him uh, just in time for him to go to sleep, wake up, drink a beer in the shower, and then head off to wherever he's going, whether it's work or or some other place, uh, the bar probably. Um, he's just – he's a fall-down drunk 
essentially uh, in, in literal cases sometimes. And um, there's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. There's a psychological source for his alcoholism. Uh, I won't reveal it here. The movie takes some time to get to it, but let's just say that it is also the source of his separation from his wife, uh, Angie, played by Janina Gavankar. And um, so the story kicks in when he is approached by the, uh, the principal of his old school, a Catholic high school, uh, to come in and take over for the high school basketball coach who has just had a minor but pretty incapacitating heart attack. Um, had, had been getting up in years and he had a heart attack. He's expected to survive, so it's not, it's not a, um, a major medical event, but it was enough to end his coaching career. So Jack is called back in, and uh, his, his style immediately clashes with the team chaplain, um, who is really not happy with uh, his level of cursing, for instance. Uh, he is, he's got a mouth on him, and um, he uses that to, to just kind of motivate the team and get close to, the, to a couple of the members. Basically, what we have here is an intersection between a fairly typical sports drama in which a, a, an, an unconventional coach comes in coaches the team, inspires them in some uh, unconventional way, and the teacher's unconvention kind of gets them in trouble. Um, but we also have, that's an, you know, I mentioned an intersection, that's at an intersection with an addiction drama, uh, a, a story about a man who's basically a, a hollowed-out shell of his former self who is essentially just coasting through life right now. He's... He's deep into grief. We'll just say that um, there's there's a lot of grief that he has been put through um, in his past, whether it be his upbringing with a father who was uh, not a fan of his until he learned that his son was good at basketball. Then he started paying attention, and then Jack decided he's going to start, you know, uh, acting out. And then in his adulthood, something else horrible happens, and that makes him disappear into his obsession, which ended his marriage. And so uh, that, you know, both stories fairly familiar. We, we get with the sports side, we get all the montages and, and the various um, matches and all of that. And we also get the big game at the end. However, I wasn't anticipating this of it. While there is a big game at the end and we certainly see the team preparing for it and we, get a sense of the outcome of the game. We do not see the game in its entirety. We mostly see a, a, a crossroads for Jack, a moment where he realizes that he needs help and he goes to get it. So it basically is the case of a movie subverting our expectations by starting out as something that we think we know where it's going and then narrowing its focus on the character at the center of it. So fundamentally, this is a character-based movie. It's not really a sports drama, except in the kind of the, um, uh, the flotsam of the movie, if you will. The stuff that really could have been excised uh, had any editor had any, any uh, interest in excising that. Now, I'm not saying it should have been. I'm just saying that there is a story here that is not directly related to whether or not the team succeeds or not. It's more about whether Jack gets better or not. 
And uh, Affleck's performance, you know, I, I really like Ben Affleck as an actor. Uh, there have been stretches of his career where I feel like he was making the wrong decisions as an actor, uh, whether it was whether it be picking projects or just the performances that he gave weren't really indicative of his talent. But I think that ever since, um, uh, especially this this past decade where he's opened up as a filmmaker, he joined a big franchise, and then he also realized he himself was deep into alcoholism. I think that this is something of an exorcism for him. It kind of reminded me uh, in a roundabout way of the performance that Shia LaBeouf gave in Honey Boy uh, just this past year. And in that case, it's a more subdued performance than I was anticipating this role to give him uh, just because Ben Affleck is an actor because of how he began and, and the roles that he take that he took he was an actor who played to the room and he's not doing that here. He's not, he's not bigger than he needs to be. It's a very quiet performance and it's pretty heartbreaking at times too. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean with this and triple frontier last year, I thought he was terrific in that. I think he's really kind of entering a new phase of his career kind of uh, uh, you know, post sobriety and, uh, or I don't know if he's actually, I don't know if he's sober yet, but I think y'all, y'all get what I mean. Uh, uh, after this realization about himself, he's been he's been committing to roles more uh, in a more subdued way that I think is uh, is anticipated, and I really like that um, about his role here uh, as Jack. And uh, you know the other performances are good, but it's pretty much his show. They're all basically servicing him uh, at the end of the day. Um, but but he's good, and it's uh, it's an impressive turn for Mr. Affleck. I really, I really am, uh, uh, I'm proud of the guy for, for coming to that realization about him and realizing that he needs help. And it seems like this is the movie or shooting this movie is the experience that, uh, made him finally realize that, especially after so many scenes in here of intense drinking. I mean, it's, I'm surprised it's not part of the rating, uh, of, of the R rating of the movie. Um, it is an R-rated movie. It's very mouthy, <laughs> very mouthy. So if you're expecting something exactly like Miracle, yeah, don't don't go in expecting that. Uh, it's not as you know, like hectoring to the crowd as as that movie was, um, and maybe it's not as good. It's not as it's not as uh, as much of a of a directorial uh, achievement as that was uh, for O'Connor, but it is a good one. Um, it's better, I think then I remember warrior being, which is kind of a similar, uh, tone and mood, uh, very serious movie. Wasn't R rated, but it was a hard PG 13. There was, there was more, there were more adult themes in that one. I felt like, I think I remember feeling like that one was ultimately more about being just overtly manipulative in the sentimentalizing of its approach. This one is more emotionally honest. It's less. It's less easily sentimentalized than Warrior was, and uh, more impressively filmed and and, and directed. Um, looks great. Has a lot of shadow. Uses a lot of shadow. It, it kind of cloaks everything in this in this uh, dank gloom uh, that reflects the main character's headspace in a really interesting way, and. Uh, yeah, it's just it's just an impressive feat of um, performative exorcism from Ben Affleck, and uh, yeah, so I really quite liked it. 
well it's a good score uh fantastic score i don't know who did it uh i didn't i didn't pay attention to that uh, unfortunately but it's either a score or it's a use of a lot of pre-existing music i'm just not aware of i know that they used bon Iver, uh a song by bon Iver in the first trailer uh it definitely sounded like some of bon Iver's music so i don't know if he was in charge of this or they just used that as a template or what but um but yeah, whatever it is, it works. And uh, particularly the third act is really what makes this uh, as good as it is. So yeah, uh, I, I know that I'm probably downplaying my grade. I'm giving it a B. Uh, there's really no reason why I'm not going higher. I just, it's not top 10 contending. It is a little familiar at the edges uh, and maybe rounded out at the edges where it could be, could be a little sharper um, in, in some of its, what, it, what it's trying to examine. Um, maybe it could go deeper, but it goes pretty deep as is, and it's fairly emotionally honest. So yeah, I'm giving the way back a B certainly worth checking out. It opens this weekend, um, at least for us audiences. I don't know the, the, um, the non us market for this, but, um, but it's impressive. It's impressively acted and, uh, yeah, I, I really quite liked it. So Chase, are you, are you are you excited? Even more excited now to to check this one out? Yeah, I mean, I've always liked uh, Affleck as an actor, and of course, him and you know Gavin have worked on the Accountant together, and so I, you know, I, I like that movie, and so if they can kind of bring that same energy here, but obviously in a different um, perspective and character study, I think you're going to have a winner on your hands. And I I've heard from the other critics out there that re- have reviewed the way back that this is one of Affleck's best performances. Like mm-hmm. this is yeah. a stellar kind of comeback for him ever since uh, the whole debacle with like playing Batman and stuff and just really kind of making him feel down about his life. And of course he went through his separation with his wife and everything. So I get it. There's a lot riding on this guy's shoulders. And I think channeling that into something that, like you said, is more emotionally honest will get us to kind of open up to him a little bit more. Um, and that, uh, the vulnerability of you know people performing these things is something that I respect highly because it's not easy to do. And you know, putting him in that situation when he has been dealing with alcoholism is you know it's a brave feat on his part. He didn't have to do it, but uh, from what I've been hearing, uh, including you know your kind of testimony over there, is that he uh, he is the main driving force behind this movie. His performance is why is, you, is why you see the movie. And it's one of his best. So after hearing all of that, yes, I'm still uh, uh, happy to go see it at any time. Nice, nice. All right. Well, let us know what you thought of this and onward uh, in the comments section below. Um, right now, you are about to hear a voicemail. We have we have our first voicemail to the show um, from a longtime listener. And... Uh, yeah, we're excited to bring this. Again, you know, we, we do have this feature. You can send in voicemails with questions, um, and uh, and we will answer them on the show at the end of the show like this, uh, usually. So uh, this is also useful quickly before, before uh, we cue that up. This is also useful at the end of the year. If you want to call in with your favorite movie of 2020 when we do our – top 10 at the end of the year or at the midway point of the year when we do our top fives in um, best and worst. And even on the worst episode, you can call in. We will incorporate that into the show 
at some, you know, in, in some way. So, uh, yeah, you're welcome to do that. And right now you're going to hear from our first voicemail. Chase, this is exciting. This is a guy that's, you know, we've mentioned on the show before. Um, so it makes sense. <laughs> I, I would have been surprised if it was anybody else, honestly, uh, just being open and honest here. I would have been surprised if it was anybody else uh, who called in. But, uh, but yeah, you're about to hear from friend of the show, Brad. And uh, Chase, go ahead and play that, sir. Hey guys, it's Brad from Watchers Podcast. Huge fan of Real Me In, colon, a movie podcast. Joel, Chase, you guys are awesome. What I want to know is if you guys could make your own buddy cop movie, who would you cast in the two lead roles? Thanks. All right, guys, you just heard... From our, ver- from our first voicemail, uh, that was Brad, who was asking, who would we cast in a buddy cop comedy? Chase, uh, I'm going to let you answer this one first. Who were who you thinking over there? So uh, I have to say, first and foremost, thank you, Brad, for Yes, and, absolutely. And, uh, <laughs> check, you know, check out his podcast if that is up your alley as well. He also loves to talk about movies just like us. We are all cinephiles here. But uh, Brad made a mistake, Joel. He made a mistake because he <laughs> asked us this question, and I had so much fun with it, I have like 20 different options. So, um, so uh, he, he asked the question, so we must deliver it to the people. So um, the way I was thinking was, you know, getting, you know, picks that you would just not think of, unconventional choices, pairing one maybe like Oscar winner with like, uh, more primarily like a comedian or something. I was kind of mm. thinking in those regards or just people I thought would work well together. So uh, without any like explanation, I'm just going to run down all of these like just super quickly. Um, and you're going to be like, I, I don't know if you're going to like be disgusted at my choices or if you're going to be like, what were you thinking? Or if you're going <laughs> to love them, but here you go. So uh, first one I thought of was uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and Timothy Chalamet. That would be interesting. Okay. <laughs> uh, I decided to take uh, – the book smart crew and have a uh, Deaver and Feldstein uh, uh-huh. be like police Academy, uh, maybe like recruits or something. That would be kind of funny. Uh, Gary Oldman and Seth Rogen. <laughs> I actually think that would be a pretty, pretty dope selection right there. Uh, another one that is so weird. I kind of wanted to see it because I just now brought it up. Uh, Robert De Niro and Nick Kroll. That mm, okay. Can you imagine if like, uh, like they they almost kind of look alike to where like they were like grand grandfather and like grandson and like they got paired together for some weird reason it's not gonna make any sense but who cares we just want to see it that would be kind of funny um these four women i can see interchanging uh but i have like michelle williams or and or carrie mulligan with maya rudolph and or Kristen wig that would mm. be kind of cool uh because i think of mulligan as will and williams as kind of the same they're really like high caliber you know, really great dramatic actresses and the other two are really great at comedy. So that would be interesting. Um, I was also thinking about the spiral trailer and how Chris Rock is playing a detective. And so I was like, what if Chris Rock went back to his like normal, you know, kind of comedy vibes. And he was paired with a person that is known for doing dramatic work, but I know he can do comedy because of the Kingsman series. What if you paired up Chris Rock and Colin Firth? Mm. That, that's, not a, that's not a bad little selection there. Um, I also thought, uh, speaking of the De Niro and Kroll 
kind of mixed with like the old and the young with like a grandparent and like <laughs> grandchild. I kind of want to see since she's hot right now uh, with projects, you know, on a day armas with like Kate Blanchett or something mm-hmm. uh, kind of like with that yin and yang. Since we saw it in Little Women, I would love to see Meryl Streep and Florence Pugh uh, in some type of like <laughs> roasted comedy fashion. That would be awesome. I did and, not anticipate that. that yeah, exactly. That, yeah. I, I figured you'd like that one. Um, yeah. This is my favorite one because I actually got deep into the screenplay. I want to have Margot Robbie and Karen Gillan as, uh, as partners. And then in the middle of the movie, I want Margot Robbie to die. And then her long-lost twin, Samara Weaving, will come and join. <laughs> so that, that is one uh, you could play with. Um, this one's pretty simple. Ben Mendelsohn with anyone uh, because that's what I want to see. <laughs> Uh, with anyone with, okay with just anyone um this ben mendelson carrot top <laughs> carrot top you, you better you better pay mr mendelson a crap ton of money to do that. Um, um, so with uh this one i was actually pulling from what i've been hearing on twitter as of recently and since they're actually both actors and they're both great at comedy yeah they're really great prolific horror directors but what about Jordan Peele and Lee Wano? Like that would be mm. that would be a fast. That would be interesting, yeah. Uh, especially since uh, Lee is getting better at comedies with like cooties and stuff. This one, um, uh, I can see going uh, both ways because I just want Lakeith Stanfield to be in anything, and so I want to pair Lakeith up with either Yahya Abdul Mateen II or uh, go back to his photograph reunion and have Issa Rae and oh, yeah. be in a comedy. Because uh, she, she's going to be doing that with uh, Kumail in um, The Lovebirds, so why not? Right. And then the last one I could think of, kind of going with like the older, kind of younger generation, uh, Taraji P. Henson and Zoe Kravitz. Mm. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, That's so uh, those those are all the ones I came up with. And I know Joel's like, oh, my God, the, the question <laughs> was one. Uh, but I had fun with it. And that, that is my spiel. Uh, Joel, first of all, just real quick. What do you think about any of these? Uh, do you like even one of them? And then uh, you can go do your list. Right. I actually picked two people you did not mention. Uh, okay. So this is so this is going to be fun. Brad, I hope that you enjoyed that <laughs> because specifically, Brad, I hope everybody did. But I know Brad was excited for this. Uh, so Chase just answered his question like 20-fold. Uh, that's great. So so I do like I do like your your choices. Um Here's how I approach this. And I did give this a lot of thought, actually. I heard this, and then I spent maybe the next hour and a half, like, mining my, my thoughts on a bunch of actors and trying to think of what makes a really great buddy cop comedy. What makes a great pairing, right? So, okay, so fundamentally, I feel like they have to be opposites. So you think of even the bad ones, even the bad movies, the that that like cop out had Bruce Willis and Tra- Tracy Morgan completely differing energies. Now it was in that movie's disfavor. <laughs> ultimately, wasn't very good. But then you had that same year, Will Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg. That was, I think, their first pairing, right? So obviously, you know, different en- energies there too. But then you think about some of the classic ones, you know, Mel Gibson and Danny Glover in Lethal Weapon, and. You just and and you know even people like uh, Nick Nolte and Eddie Murphy in Forty Eight Hours. I don't know if that's a cop comedy. I haven't seen that one, but it's in the same spirit. So I was trying to think. Okay, 
who do we know that is the like the okay i'm trying to i'm trying to like filter my thoughts here um it filtered through my thoughts here so we have to have the straight man part of the pair the person who is more serious maybe surprises us with some comedic acumen during the course of the film and then we have to have the younger one the one that's a little looser played by a comic actor or at least played in the comic vein and then i realized okay so we haven't had many uh of these that have been two women paired together so that's that would make it more interesting if we had a woman at least a, a female actor at least included in some capacity right but we also want to have somebody who's talented somebody who knows their way around comedy and has a really 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 high comic energy and then we also want to have the old timer the veteran the person who's going to be more serious so here's what i came up with in the role of the veteran cop the one who is assigned a new like let's say assigned a new partner um, to train maybe approaching retirement and they get into a series of, you know, uh, misadventures, uh, in some random plot that has to do with a MacGuffin. That's usually what happens in these movies. So I present to you a comedy, a buddy cop comedy starring in the role of the older veteran, Liam Neeson, uh, and in, and it would actually be kind of a clever little inversion of, of his, uh, of his, you know, latest career, uh, kind of, um, form, which is action movies. Right. So be able to use that pretty well. Somebody who's, who's kind of coming to the end of their career as a cop, get, get Liam Neeson to play him. And then for the younger recruit, you get Tiffany Haddish, uh, who has a, a very like bustling comic energy that is unstoppable. You, you just, you, she comes into a scene. You can't stop her from, from coming up with riffs on her own, from playing with scripted riffs until they're, they're essentially improvised. You can't do it. You can't stop her. She's an unstoppable comedic force in whatever she comes into. So that is my pairing. That is the single pairing that I came up with. I didn't, I didn't have the bandwidth to be like chase and spin uh, an entire day sitting in one room <laughs> with his eyes closed, trying to come up with 74 different pairings. Uh, <laughs> I couldn't that, that, do that's that. How I did, that's how I did it, too. I closed my eyes, I like, shut all the lights off, and it was really, really awkward for everybody. Yep, exactly, exactly. For everybody else in the room where you shut the lights off. Uh, just There were a bunch of people in the room. He got this. Uh, he, he saw this. And then he shut all the lights off, told everybody to shut up and close his eyes and thought about this. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> so I didn't do that, but I did, I did think about it and that's what I came up with. I came up with that pairing. Now I will say that in, in alternation with something like that, you would probably get a very similar energy if you did incorporate Gary Oldman. And I like that you brought Gary Oldman up because he did, he did kind of come into my head the one thing that did stop me from saying him, even though I love the heck out of Gary Oldman, is that he isn't super renowned for doing anything comedic. And I think that Liam Neeson has had a couple of those roles that have played with the comedic, like the A-Team, 
or even Cold Pursuit from last year was a dark comedy, a dark action comedy. And I feel like there's there's some there's something of a deadpan quality to Neeson that I think is maybe more suited to it. But if you did want to incorporate Gary Oldman, then I would switch up the other choice and I would still go with an actress of color. But I would steal your other uh, one of your other choices. Have Gary Oldman teamed up with Issa Rae? Oh God! <laughs> and and have them together. Uh, but I, I just I just couldn't do this without taking two complete opposites and putting right. them together. Right? I mean, because I think actually, you know, I talked about Cop Out and how that was. It's a bad movie. But I will say that the one scene that works in the movie, the single scene is the scene where Tracy Morgan seemingly goes through like a litany of movie references. And then he comes up on die hard and Bruce Willis says, I've never seen that one. You know, I, I just, I think about that scene as being the only thing in that movie that worked. If you could build on that kind of thing, then you could have Issa Rae making, you know, kind of poking fun at Gary Oldman's otherwise 100% serious career in right. some of the, in, and referencing some of the movies that he's been in. Um, and, uh, and then you could have, uh, Tiffany Haddish, you know, making some, making fun of some of the movies that Liam Neeson's been in. And, you know, it would just be a perfect opportunity to have this live wire with this more reserved kind of, um, deadpan actor, uh, in this other role. And I just, yeah, it would be, it would be perfect. This was a fun first question to ask, uh, that was Brad. We thank you for that question that gave us a lot of joy to try to come up with a, uh, a series, a series of choices in Chase's, in Chase's, on Chase's part. And then, you know, one choice for me with an alternate and, um, yeah, so that is it. And, uh, that has been episode three seventeen. It's been a bit shorter this time. Um, and, uh, so apologies for that, I guess not, not as much to talk about this week, but, that has been episode 317. Next week, we have a main review of the movie that, according to the poster, is the most talked about movie in the world, despite the fact that nobody's seen it. <laughs> that is The Hunt. Uh, this is the movie that was uh, canceled last October, or taken off the, the schedule last October. It's finally coming out, um, because Universal's like, Eh, you know what? We might as well go ahead and release it. Can't wait. Really great cast. It should be quite something. So, <laughs> Chase, are you are you getting more excited about that one? I, I'm excited about it, but I'm also nervous for us to talk about it because we <laughs> we actually well for we don't we rarely do it, but when the movie calls for it, like diving into like political stuff, like mm, we're gonna have mm-hmm. to do it for this. Yes. So I guess gird your loins, gird your yeah. loins, folks. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, in fact, if there's anybody out there who doesn't like when we do get political and comments that way, maybe just skip next week's episode. Uh, <laughs> that's what I'm just going to say. I, it's like, how, do you, how do you not talk about the movie and talk about <laughs> right. the specific like, genres of people that they're going after? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And uh, yeah, so it should be it should be quite interesting, but I'm excited uh, to get into that. So that will be 318. Uh, if you want to find my writing, it's a joelonfilm.com primarily. I will say um, you can find some writing there. Uh, it's kind of in a weird period be- for my website. I'm trying to incorporate a new style of 
getting my reviews out there and it's a work in progress. Just pay, just give me a little bit of love, (laughs) a little bit of love over this next few weeks as I figure something new out that won't exhaust me so much. Um, it's specifically to, to keep my, to keep my brain from overloading at the end of the week. Um, and so far this weekend was my first weekend of trying to do this, rolling reviews out over the course of one week instead of all on the weekend. It's not quite working out as I hoped. So um, anyway, but my, my, my writing is there. It's also at uh, some, you know, I have two reviews over at spectrumculture.com. That's my new digs. Uh, and also at uh, dallasmoviescreenings.com on occasion. And you can follow my tweets at Real Joel Copeling. That's R E E L J O E L C O P L I N G. And uh, search my name on Letterboxd. That's my daily progress uh, chart. And uh, yeah, that's where I am on the old World Wide Web. What about you, Chase? Yeah, so if you guys want to follow me on Twitter, it's at Real Chase Lee. If you guys want to follow the podcast on Twitter, it's at Real Me and Podcast. And for the podcast itself, you know, we're hosted out of anchor.fm. So please subscribe to that feed, uh, send a voicemail, donate if you want to. All the links will be in the description below. But we are on, uh, I believe, Apple, Spotify, and a couple of others. But wherever you are, let people know about this wonderful podcast because we just love creating content for you guys. And speaking of content, this past week uh, had a review of Greed. The Times of Bill Cunningham and Extraordinary. And next week will be another threefer. You will have Swallow, uh, My Spy, and Bloodshot. And then, of course, the main episode with The Hunt. So busy, busy week ahead. But that's okay. I like doing it. So that is where you can find all the stuff. That is Joel. I am Chase. This has been 317 of the Real Man Cold the Movie Podcast. You guys are awesome. And we will see you guys next week. Bye. Bye.